You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Jeff Redlin. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now here's our pastor. Tonight as we get started and, and uh, look at some truths from God's Word this evening, how many of you have, uh, how many of you have email that you can carry around with you? How many of you have email that you can carry with you? You know, email in your pocket. How many of you have it? Raise your hand. All right, let's see here. How many of you uh, have email in your pocket and whenever you get this little sensation, you know I mean? You feel this little... You know, go off because you, you have it on vibrate, you know, or, or you have a little chirp or whatever. How many of you feel this incredible urge to check it to see exactly what it is? How many of you have that? Okay, isn't this strange thing that, that, you know, we have this technology and such, and when it goes off, man, we just want to check it and find out what it is. Now, I am a person that really does enjoy gadgetry. Do you like gadgets? Do you like little... Uh, I like electronic gadgets. Do you like them? I do. How many of you just say, you know, I can take it or leave it? Really, it's not that big a deal to me. Take it or leave it. Okay, it'd be several folks. Would there be anybody... Uh, I don't know. How many people under 40 would say, uh, I can take it or leave it? Just out of curiosity, take it or leave it. Okay, a couple folks. One, two, three, four, five, six... And some of them aren't telling the truth, okay? Okay. You, you know, gadgetry, to me, I just uh, enjoy it. I like it. In fact, I have all kinds of gadgets. I have, uh, you know, uh, um, laptop computer. I have a uh, computer. I have, hey, the, the, the church staff and the deacons gave me an iPad for Christmas. Let me just tell you, I really like it. I think it's cool. I usually don't have this on in church, but I did. I brought it with me. I, I like my phone. I just like it, okay? I like to use it, and I use it a lot. I mean, I, I use it for all kinds of things, and, and we, th- this, I was just trying to figure out a way. Andrew, you have your, your, your iPod with you, right? Okay, bring your iPod up here real quick, because Andrew was showing me this the other day. Andrew, you and I have never done this. Do you have your iPod with you? Okay. So take it out, and uh, Andrew, okay, go ahead and, and open that one right there. Yeah. Andrew showed me this the other day. It's an instrument. Okay. Okay, I'm going to turn mine all the way up. Oh. It's loud. Okay. Oh, yeah. He has to know what key I'm in. Okay. And I have no clue. So you look at that. Andrew showed me this the other day, and I said, wow, that's incredible. So I went home, and I, I put it on my phone right away. And I said, I just got to try that, you know. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. So did you get it? Are we on the same same key? Okay. Let's try to do... Did you change mine? Yes. You did? Yes, sir. You changed mine. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? To match mine. <laughs> okay. All right, let's try. Can you turn this one on, Sean? Why don't you turn this one on and turn mine off, Okay. Okay, let's play. We're going to try now. I, I messed this up a lot, okay? Okay. But let's try to play Amazing Grace. All right. Here we go. Told you I messed up. 
You messed up a little bit yes, there. Yes, <laughs> you, you know, that's really not applause worthy. You know, if we'd have done it without messing up, it might have been. But, okay, the, the thing that I just think is so, yeah, we're, we're, we got a little feedback going. But I just think, like, you can do all kinds of stuff on this. You know, you can play songs, you can play music. Andrew really is very good at this. After the service, you go up to Andrew and say, hey, Andrew, play. Ask him to play whatever, and he plays it beautifully. It sounds like, wow, that's really nice. And he can play all kinds of stuff on it. You can play music, make music, not just play music, make music on these little gadgets. And Andrew does it beautifully. Okay, thanks, Andrew. We're just trying to figure out how to work that in. Uh, now... Okay, you can check the weather, you can, you know, surf the internet, you can do all kinds of stuff, and you can do it on a little gadget in your pocket. Okay, what is the challenge of gadgetry? How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, um, before you do anything else in the morning, you find that you, whether you do it or not, you find that you are drawn to check the gadget, to check your email, to look at the weather, to see the headlines, to figure out what's taking place in the world, because it most certainly is the most important thing that you can begin your day with. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Drawn to those things that so oftentimes are the things that distract us, that pull us away, that confuse or cloud, or maybe this is a good word, clutter our minds. This last week, I read an article that included a challenge, and they called it the uh, St. Augustine Challenge. It was offered by a guy whose name is Dr. Benjamin Wicker, and here was his challenge. He said, read St. Augustine's Confessions for one hour, and here's the hard part. Without interruption from the internet or cell phones, not a minute here and a minute there, not in between checking your text messages, not while you're surfing the net or answering email. One hour, 60 minutes, back to back, you, the book, and silence. Now, how many of you have ever read any part of the Confessions? It's plainly titled Confessions. Uh, we oftentimes refer to it as, you know, the St. Augustine Confessions or the Confessions of St. Augustine. How many of you have ever read any of Augustine's Confessions? Raise your hand. Okay, a few folks, but not many. It was written in the mid-300s, 386, 387, 88, right in there, A.D. And Augustine is considered by many to be one of the greater intellectual minds and certainly a mind whose writing has had great impact not only on Christianity but in our understanding of history during that period of time. And so I took the challenge. I said, okay, I'm going to, without interruption, without distraction, I'm going to take an hour and I also decided I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to check my email or check the headlines or check the weather before I do it. So I got up yesterday morning. By the way, yesterday was a full day. I had a, a full day yesterday, and I was even wondering, can I really? Do I have an hour to spare in the morning? And so I sat down and uh, was in a place that was without distraction. And I began to read the Confessions 
of St. Augustine. And I marked the time at the beginning, and I purposed not to be a clock watcher. Do you know how if you begin something and you know you'll be doing it for the space of an hour, you oftentimes find yourself checking the minute hand to see how far you've gone? And so I determined not to continually or consistently look at the clock. And as I read, I found myself interested in time. I found myself thinking about what am I going to do as soon as my hour is up? Or I'll be able to check this, or I'll be able to find out this. Do you know what the challenge is in our day? Our challenge is, as the Bible writer reminded us in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, our challenge is to be, and you know the next word, don't you? Still. And know that I am God. It was back in the mid-60s, and this was before a Senate subcommittee. Time magazine reported on it in the 60s. They said that 20 years from now, this was in the mid-60s, so I think it was 66 that it was written, Time magazine reported that the subcommittee before Congress said, 20 years from now, technology will advance to such a place where we expect people in our American culture, society, will be working 22 hours a week because of all the time-saving technology. And the only challenge that they presented, now this is on record before the Senate, the only challenge that they saw was what will people do 20 years from 1966? What will people do with all of their extra time? Well, let me ask you, what are you doing with all your extra time more than 40 years later? The challenge for us, I don't suppose, is what to do with all of our extra time. The challenge is to be still, to know that He is God. Now, I started by saying that I'm, I don't know, I suppose for your average 46-year-old, I am rather plugged in. Our family is. In other words, I'm not uh, preaching a message tonight against checking the weather or reading the headlines on the Internet. I'm not telling you that you can't. uh, I'm right now, to be honest with you, I'm not like I, uh, boy, maybe was as a young adult, you know. I wasn't as focused on, or I was more focused than on, hey, let's sit down and play a video game. Now, my son plays video games. And I'm not as inclined as a 46-year-old. We watch television. In fact, there are programs that as a family we very much enjoy. There are programs that we record. Uh, In fact, mostly uh, old uh, Lucille Balls and... uh, and Maxwell Smart. So we record old television programs, and we oftentimes sit down, and and Connor will turn one on and watch it. Now, the danger, I suppose, of me saying that uh, uh, we watch television, and we use the Internet. Uh, My son has a video game system. To to say that, I suppose the danger is people say, well, I guess we can do anything we want with X, Y, and Z. I'm not saying it for that purpose. I'm saying it to tell you that we are, I suppose, a rather normal family who is plugged in. Are there certain things that, that we just look forward to? In fact, on a Sunday night, 
after a busy weekend, and, and ours was very, after a, a very full day, which Sundays usually are for us, it's not uncommon for us to sit down and just relax and watch what I would consider a wholesome program. What I'm not trying to say is I'm not trying to add insult or guilt or unnecessary burden by saying that you should not be doing X, Y, and Z. I certainly respect those who say, you know, we just don't watch television in our home. And I, without any question, would give a person the absolute right to come to that conclusion. I'm saying what we do as a family with the expectation that folks would say, well, I'd give you the right to choose wisely your sources of media as well. The point is, in in just trying to give you a picture into what our lives are like, is that I feel as if they are fairly normal, and I'm not trying to preach against technology. I'm plugged in. But I do want us to be reminded tonight regarding the matter of being still. To purposefully, with planning and preparation, find opportunity to come apart for the importance or the necessity of rest. I I think that uh, the challenge was offered by Dr. Wicker because he saw St. Augustine as somebody who wrote at the beginning of his confessions, when you start to read the confessions of Augustine, you read this phrase, I hope it's one you've heard before, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. The question that Dr. Wicker was seeking to answer was, has our fast-paced, time-saving, internet-grabbing, device-loving culture truly allowed us more time to rest, or is it simply creating hearts that are restless? Warren Wearsby said this, Warren Wearsby said, the ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Can I restate that? He said, the ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. He went on to say, Our old nature is restless. The world around us is frantically in a hurry. But a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. Psalm 46.10 is the verse we referenced at the beginning. And it says in its entirety, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. There's an author whose name is Nicholas Card. He wrote a book called The Shallows. Now, he got the title from a poem written by Robert Frost. And Robert Frost wrote a poem. I don't recall the title of it, but the poem was such that it pictured mankind on the sand of a vast seashore. And and through the course of the poem, it was intended to show that man was trying to comprehend that which is unfathomable. That man was looking out to the great beyond, trying to comprehend the greatness and the vastness of that which is beyond our comprehension. 
So, so Frost wrote that man stands there and tries to contemplate, tries to grasp in some small way the greatness of what was before him. But, but the author wrote that, that he called this book The Shallows. He said, no longer does it seem that man stands on the seashore looking out to try to comprehend that which is beyond comprehension. He said, now it seems as if man is content to play in the shallows and not even contemplate that there is some tug or some toe, some current that draws us to that which is beyond us, with, with no recognition that there is something far greater that you are standing on the brink of. No, we're just now simply content to splash about in the shallows. It's interesting that at times in our Christian life, rather than tackle or grasp some of those things that require a still and a quiet soul, that can only be gathered in the presence of the One who can reveal to us those things that can be revealed through no other's presence. We find ourselves, even in our Christian walk, content to play about in the shallows. The, the shallow things of Christianity. The trivial things of life those things that can distract us and occupy us so we're not forced to contemplate the deeper things of life. We find ourselves at times in the place that Nicholas Carr said are the shallows. We have, uh, we have plugged in our children, and sometimes to a degree that is far from what most might consider to be healthy. Again, I, I was, I hope, uh, transparent with you at the beginning of this message regarding I, I am not preaching a message against a, a, a child playing a video game. I'm not trying to preach a message against uh, them having an iPod, having a phone, being connected. I, I found this interesting, though. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, children under seven, they say, and I know this is a secular study, but a secular study says that children under seven have a 10% increased chance of having ADD for every hour of TV watched a day. Children under seven. Consistently exposing a child to very fast-paced images may rewire neuro... Um, neuronal pathways in ways that are not productive for functioning in life. Did you catch that? Exposing children to such fast-paced imagery. By the way, I think that would, would certainly include the fast-paced aspect of gaming. And particularly, they say, for a, a child seven years old and under, may rewire their thinking in a way that is not profitable or productive for life. Uh, Sandy Spears is considered to be a child development expert. She said, children can learn to have self-quieting times in their room. It might take some boundary setting for them to get used to it, 
What can children do to self-quiet? Read a book. Play dress-up. Look out the window at clouds. Children did this before television was around. (laughs) So just learn to be quiet. To have an imagination that is not catered to by imagery. To think. To experience. She, She went on and she talked about just sensory images. For a child to feel the wind in their face or grass on their toes, to understand what it's like to roll down a hill, to be able to feel the sunshine on their back. All of those things teach us, in a sense, to slow down, to be self-occupied rather than constantly preoccupied. Take your Bible for a moment and look at the passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings 19, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible begins here a passage of Scripture that is sequential. In other words, prior to this passage of Scripture, Elijah had experienced potentially one of the greatest, and by the way, one of the most, uh, I suppose, mentally stimulating victories that man could have known. If you want to talk about the endorphins firing in his brain, man... They were firing on top of Carmel. The, the, the 300, 450 prophets of Baal against Elijah. And Elijah prays a, a short 63-word prayer in our English Bible. And as Elijah prays, I mean, fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar, the sacrifice, the, the stones. It licks up the 12 barrels of water that he had poured on top of the sacrifice all Israel falls down in apparent revival. And they shout twice. They repeat the phrase, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And then Elijah takes this 20-mile jog, run back to Jezreel uh, from Carmel. He beats Ahab's chariot. Uh, He says there's going to be rain after there's been a drought for three and a half years. You want to talk about emotional uh, stimuli. Man, his brain was just firing so much it happened. And and then, you know, the threat takes place. Look at verse number 1 in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying... So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. That was the message that Jezebel sent to Elijah. She said, hey, listen, pal, about this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. And she said, let the gods do to me, and more also, if you're not dead by this time tomorrow. Well, with that, Elijah begins an escape route or an attempt to flee from the presence of this wicked Jezebel. Verse number 3, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. 
and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him, said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. A still, small voice? Do you know what the Bible now does not say after the still, small voice? It doesn't use the same words that it used for the wind. It doesn't use the same words that it used for the earthquake. It doesn't use the same words that were used for the explosion of fire. For each one of those occurrences, the Bible uses the phrase, but the Lord was not in... Where was the Lord? The Lord at this moment for Elijah was in the still, small voice. And it took Elijah, now standing some 40 days a journey into Horeb, to stand before God and God to say to Elijah, Elijah, I know I have the power to work in grandeur. I did so on Carmel. You called down fire, and there's no question that I was in it. But Elijah, in Israel, don't always expect me to work through the crazy, the spectacular, the miraculous, the, the, the high-paced, the intense, that which pumps the adrenaline through your veins. You know, more often than not... I suppose I'm reading somewhat into Scripture, but I suppose you could say more often than not, God's not usually raining down fire, but often easily found in the quiet of the still, small voice. Have you ever met the person who really couldn't make some forward progress in their life unless there was some grand event taking place? They, they wanted some measure of, of emotionalism, they wanted tears and they wanted all, all of the, the things that might accompany some very emotional experience before God. And here God's simply reminding Elijah, Elijah, I know there was great emotion and great power on top of Carmel, but did you know that normally the way I work is just in a quiet, 
still, small voice. Do you know where you could easily find yourself tomorrow? Not at some opening of a cave on Mount Horeb where Elijah sees earthquakes and and wind that smashes the rocks and fire that explodes before him. You probably won't find yourself there tomorrow. You probably won't find yourself on Carmel praying some prayer and seeing God rain down fire. But do you know where you could find yourself tomorrow? In a quiet place, hearing Almighty God speak to you through a still, small voice. What's that require? Not a lot, except sometimes taking things like this and setting it apart so that in an undistracted, simple, quiet moment, you have the stillness to hear the small voice of God. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, you're just uh, talking about busyness, but my life is busy. Is it okay for your life to be busy, yes or no? Now think about it for just a moment. Is it okay for your life to be busy, yes or no? Most are nodding in an agreement that says yes. And I'm going to have to strongly agree. Our lives are filled with activity. They're filled with demands. They're filled with people pulling this way and that way. In Mark chapter 6. In fact, why don't you turn there for, again, a a quick moment. Mark chapter 6. Look down at verse number 31. Mark 6, beginning in 31. The Bible says, again in Mark 6, beginning in 31, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Now pause for just a minute. Is the life of Christ a busy life? I don't know that there has ever been ministry for three and a half years that was as solid as the ministry of Christ. I mean, day after day. There were so many at times that lined up before him that when people heard that Christ was coming, the streets would be lined with the sick and infirmed. People would come and tug on him. The woman with the issue of blood, she she couldn't even get close to him to get his attention because the mob thronged him. And finally, when she works her way up, she just touches the hem of his garment. Christ stops and he says, who touched me? They were incredulous with the question. They said, you're asking who touched you? Look at all the people around you. Why were those people there? Every person was there because they wanted something from Christ. Do you ever feel like that? You know, Lord, I'm trying to do your work, but man, every place I turn, somebody wants something from me. You ever felt like that? People asking this, people wanting this. Oh, could you work in the nursery? Can you help with this program? What do you think about junior church? We'd like you in the choir. Hey, could you go out on Project Jerusalem? We'd really love you to cook for the the wild game dinner. Hey, can you help clean up after the... You feel like, man, I'm just all over the place. The, 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 The workers are thronging me. And so Christ just says very honestly, he says, hey guys, it's time to come apart and rest for a while. Then what happens? 
You know, oftentimes we just sit, read that passage, and you know, Jesus said, even to his disciples, uh, come apart that ye may rest a while. Let's go to a desert place, a quiet place. What happens when they get to the desert place? Look at verse number 33, uh, verse number 32. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Hey, okay, come on, let's go take a little vacation. Let's get some rest. So they went to the desert place, verse 33, and the people saw them departing. And many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities and outwent them and came together unto him. Now, how would you like that? You finally get apart to your quiet desert place. He said, hey, okay, now you guys, I got to go. We'll minister to you later. I got to go. And so you get in a ship and you sail over to your quiet little desert place and you're pulling your ship up and all your friends are saying, hey, good to see you. That's what happened to him. He goes away and they outwent him on foot. They, they get to the place where he's going to get a little rest, a little quiet. So what does he do? Is he opposed to a busy, somewhat hectic life? What does he do? Look at the next verse. The, the Bible says in verse 34, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Now stop. Jesus said to them, do you remember? He said, hey, come on. Let's come apart to a desert place and rest a while. And they come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is a desert place. The time's far past. We've done more than what's expected. Get rid of the crowd. What's he do? Verse, uh, verse 35 again. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came in him and said, This is a desert place, and the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Get rid of them, Lord. Now, we're not going to read the following passage, but you know the story, don't you? He said, Well, what do we have to feed them? Do you know in the, in the hectic demanding work-laden time of the desert place. It was supposed to be a place of rest. He did a great miracle. He fed 5,000 men, their wives and children. So, so are we saying we have to slow down? Is that what we're saying? Slow down? Uh, clear your schedule? Uh, empty your calendar? Move to Montana and build a cabin? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> no. I mean, don't move to Montana, okay? Wyoming's right north. <laughs> don't move. That's not the answer. What is the answer? Are we supposed to get rid of everything, even the non-essentials? Well, maybe. But I suppose there's a better answer. What was Christ's answer? If you turn back just a couple pages, Mark chapter 1, there's a great answer. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And in the morning, I think it's significant. 
a purposeful. Every word of God is given to us on purpose. And he says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. What's the answer? It's not trying to remove the busyness of life. That's just a frustrating thing. And then people start to say, I am just so stressed. I just have so much on me, I'm so stressed. Do you hear people say that all the time? I am just totally stressed. Okay. Well, I I suppose that stress and demands are part of life. So how do you handle that daily stress? I think his answer, at least his example, was he got up a great while before day. He went into a solitary place. I think if, if Christ lived in the day of phones and technology, quite honestly, I think he'd have used them. Quite honestly, I think he'd have used them. Every Sunday, every Sunday, tonight, no difference. People have used technology to find the Word of God and follow along as I preach. I think if Christ looked out, this is assumption and, and, and I think safe. Would, would he be frustrated with the medium of people reading the Word? Some people become so stuck with the medium that they're a little frustrated if somebody uses their phone or their iPod or, or some little electronic Bible to, to follow the Word of God. Don't be frustrated with that. It's the Word of God. Well, you know, for a lot of years I've just carried a Bible with me and I just think that's the right way to do it. Well, you know, for a lot of years they just had to carry a scroll. Uh, and it was chained, you know. <laughs> So you couldn't get very far. Well, then, hey, 1400s, we got the printing press, and you could start carrying a Bible. And in whatever, 2000-whatever, it became really convenient to carry it on a phone. I like, I like honestly, this is the truth, I, I like to have this with me here. I like it. But it's only a preference. I think Jesus would have used technology. It's just a thought. But you know what I think he'd have done with all the distraction, all the noise, all the things pulling at us from a million different directions? I think in the solitary place, he said, I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to come apart. I'm going to allow my mind to contemplate the deep things. To to not be always drawn by the the tintillating headline that I have to click from here and go to here and go to here and figure out what that says and dive into this. That I don't have to always answer immediately back when someone contacts me. That, That if I get an email, I don't have to know immediately what it is that someone sent to me. I think he understood the value of coming apart before all that happens, because it's going to happen in 2011, and learn the value and the discipline of a personal, 
solitary, quiet time with God. You know, Augustine, we said at the beginning, was considered or has been considered by many one of the great minds of history, one of the great writers that remains to this day. Do you know what he wrote about when he was a child? He he wrote this about his childhood. He said, I had no love for reading books and hated being forced to study them. How many of you are still in school right now? Raise your hand. How many of you would say somewhat of a hearty amen to what St. Augustine said? I had no love for reading books and hated being forced to study them. Amen? I was listening for my son. Okay. He, he goes on and he says this. He said, yet pressure was put on me and was good for me. It was not of my own inclination that I did well, for I learned nothing unless compelled. He said he was far more consumed with my love of games, in which, desiring to win, by the way, he said he often cheated. He said, my passion for frivolous spectacles and my restless urge to imitate comic scenes that he'd seen from plays. Uh, He said uh, in other places, he said, I was consumed with games that included a ball. This is an AD 386. Have uh, have kids changed much in the last 2,000 years? Uh, Augustine said this, "I, I really, I hated books. I hated being forced to learn. He said he absolutely detested Greek. He said Latin he could tolerate, but Greek he hated. (laughs) I wonder if there are children out here that have some subjects they can tolerate and some they just detest. Isn't it interesting that in his youth, he said, I learned nothing but what was compelled upon me to learn. I, I suppose we may help our children if we teach them as well the value of imposed learning. The value of being quiet and having a time alone, undistracted, unbuzzed, unconnected, so that we can make some of the most important connections. And those are connections with God. What did he do to deal with the hectic pace of life? He came apart into a quiet place. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, in this day and age in which we live, we find prayer sometimes one of the most challenging of things to accomplish. To pause and to make our mind focus on things that are above. To commune with you in the quietness of a solitary place. To be able to allow our mind to leave the shallows and to contemplate the sea and its depth far beyond the safety of the shore. Lord, we're not asking you to remove the full calendar or the demands that oftentimes pull us in different directions. Uh, We're not asking you to rearrange our schedule. We are asking for the wisdom to schedule the quiet time 
a solitary place, a time of undistracted communion with you. Lord, thank you for the tools that we enjoy today. Thank you for for technology that we use today. But help it always to be mastered and never to become our master. Might that place be solely reserved for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.